Welcome. It's so good to be here with you again today. Um, we hope that you are gathered with, with those that you can safely be gathered with um, and that you're finding ways to connect uh, with us at Cordova Naz as well as the rest of the body of Christ. We pray that you would just um, stand or like we say, sit up tall in your couch, whatever it is that you're doing where you are, um, and hear our opening psalm this morning. Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. We stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength
uh, I'm going to be reading today from Acts 6, 1 through 9, 7, 2, and 7, 51 to 60. Now, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia, Tamia. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so, you, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not prosecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they, and the, they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at it. This says the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First Peter 2, 19 to 25. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, it's so good that you are here worshiping with us. Um, we just want to continue to invite you to participate in the mission. We, we're trying to find ways to, to encourage you uh, to do things out in, in our community, but there are also plenty of ways that you, can, uh, that you can participate just by supporting the mission, the work in the mission of Cordova Church of the Nazarene. So um, I believe the, there'll be a slide kind of showing some of the ways that you can give. And we continue to thank you for your generosity, for the ways that you all have continued to support us and look forward to the day when we're back worshiping together. So God bless.
It's good to be worshiping again with you this morning. Shall we gather our prayers here together? Let's pray. Lord our God, we want to lift up to you this morning your people, the church, who have gathered in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who suffered for our sake, who died, who has ascended into heaven and is now seated. He shall be Lord of all now and forever. Lord, we want to lift up to you your people, that great cloud of witnesses in which we also ourselves stand for Stephen and his steadfastness of faith, for Peter in his constancy in caring for the flock and his endurance to the end. Lord, we want to lift up to you um, just the gift that it was to be able to gather together yesterday as your church um, for Gustavo Crocker, Dr. Gustavo Crocker, our GS, who brought us a message of another one. Your witnesses, Paul, when he was in prison, facing um, difficulty in the tribulation of perhaps awaiting his own death, still being able to speak that word of joy and of thanksgiving. Pray, Lord, that you might give that to your people, to all of us as well. We want to give you thanks, Lord, for our district superintendent, Steve Scott, as he uh, continues to encourage and inspire the churches in our zone and in our district. Give you thanks, Lord, for those that lead um, the various aspects of district ministry for um, Darling Franks, for STMI, um, for Austin Bender, our NYI president, for um, Joanne Sturgeon, and now I believe Dan Hopkins, our new NMI president, for um, the Ministerial Credential Board and for Pastor Jeff now as he'll serve on it for these next four years for um, the District Advisory Board, for those in our district office, Caitlin Peoples, Mike Havens, Jessica Moreno, just all those who represent, Lord, uh, help try to keep us together to remember that the church goes beyond these four walls, but also the connections that we share as families, as friends, um, as neighbors, uh, as people who have been called to this area and area in the um, central region, Sacramento region of California. We want to continue, Lord, to ask that you might inspire our hearts and our witness to know what it means to be rooted in this place, um, to love those uh, whom you have given to us in our family uh, and in our communities. Lord, we want to um, ask that you might continue to inspire, encourage, uh, correct, and direct all those in this nation, our leaders, maybe, Lord, particularly thinking of those um, our senators, uh, Feinstein and Harris, of our state senator, Dr. Pan, of um, our uh, U.S. representative, Ami Berra, of our um, state assembly member, Ken Cooley, as they legislate and make laws, Lord, that they seek uh, to help uh, empower and protect the people, and especially, Lord, at this time as they've uh, sought ways to um, make laws that would help uh, in the midst of this pandemic in our present circumstances, we just ask that the laws that they have passed would go uh, to serve uh, the people of this 
great nation and also, Lord, that they might continue to seek ways um, to do things that would inspire and solidify, strengthen our society, our community, our culture. Lord, we want to lift up um, the world that you have made, uh, maybe especially here thinking in this time, just the gifts that you have given in those man-made resources um, for those, Lord, that work on telephone lines, those that work on gas lines for electricity, Lord, for uh, county and sewer lines, for the water that we receive, um, for all that essential infrastructure that allows this public life to continue to go on even when we've shut down certain sectors and aspects of it. We just want you to bless and direct all those called in those sectors. Allow us, Lord, uh, to give thanks for your wisdom, your prudence, and being able to set them up um, and being able to figure out how to deliver those in the vast stretches, um, the regions, the area, the land that we need, allow them to continue um, to deliver their um, life-saving and um, life-sustaining um, means and necessities. Lord, we want to pray for um, just this area specifically around us, maybe especially thinking, Lord, of um, the schools uh, in our area for uh, Marshall Elementary, for Sequoia Elementary, for Golden Empire, for Einstein Middle School, Rosemount High School, all the students uh, for Capital Christian, for all the students that um, the teachers and the parents represented in um, those schools as they navigated being able to uh, continue to try to educate, to form this next generation that's coming up. We want to pray, Lord, that those students in those places uh, might through their education and through their studies find a means to be directed back to you, to know what it means to love you, to see you, Lord, in every aspect of their lives, to be able to respond um, to you speaking into their lives, to hear it, um, and continue to uh, grow in your grace, in your favor. Lord, we want to particularly pray for um, Rashonda Nelson and for all the children, the grandchildren that she has in her household. She represents just the difficulty of having multiple jobs and now um, trying to raise her children and be much more um, central in their place of education and formation with the schools as well. Just ask her that she might grant her the patience, the wisdom, the knowledge um, that any of the resources that the schools are still providing might rally around her and find ways um, of helping lift some of um, just the, the load that falls to her um, in seeing her children through both um, their day-to-day -day tasks and in being able to provide school. Lord, we want to lift up to you those this morning that we know um, might be afflicted in any way and give you thanks for all your ministry of healing and grace in their lives. Thinking of Jeannie Kanko, who um, has experienced your your healing at work as she's received these eardrops and the ear infection that she had, thinking, Lord, of um, Dottie Frankie and um, being alone in her house and experiencing some health struggles this week, but um, the way that you have been able to bring family and bring um, others alongside of her to help care for her and bring her just the, the nurturing, the love um, that she needs. We want to continue to ask that you might arrange a way in her life um, to have the presence of other people, um, the presence of your church, of ministry. Um, continuing, Lord, to um, think of Darlene and her family and just the, the health struggles um, of some of the members of um, 
Bob and Rosalie's niece, Alicia, just asking that you might shore up Erla, help grant her recovery and restoration um, from her illness so that we might be able to give you the thanks and the praise. Lord, we want to lift up to you um, just all those who have passed away recently. Um, also, again, thinking of um, Darlene's extended family, Daryl Goen's family, and um, his siblings that have passed away. Um, just asking, Lord, that as we commit and commend them to you, that you might receive them into the arms of your son, uh, everlasting. Might you, um, for your face to shine upon them, grant them, Lord, the peace and the rest and the crown of life to which they have gone. Um, might we, Lord, be able to walk faithfully um, in the steps of those who have known and have loved you and leave a legacy um, to those who would come after us. Lord, as we lift up all these prayers, praises, and petitions, we come to you on bended knee knowing that we have not done all things necessarily in accordance of your will, but Lord, we earnestly seek after being able to do all things to your glory. By you in and through your Son as you give us this forgiveness that he alone has obtained for us. Allow us to be able to walk beautifully in all of your ways and take delight in your will here presently and for the future. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of your Spirit, is one God now. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the, the phrase that has captured me this week has been uh, the line at the end, right at the end of Stephen's life, uh, almost the last thing that he says, which is, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Um, it's a really unique line. We'll go into uh, why here in just a minute. But in thinking about Stephen, um, I was, uh, I've been sort of, you know, I get, I get down these rabbit trails in my head and connections between things and um, we, we know that the corona uh, is the word for crown, um, and it's named that because when the scientists first discovered this virus, they looked through the microscope or whatever they were looking through, and they said it looks like a crown, so they named it this coronavirus. But the word Stephen also means crown. It means wreath or, uh, or crown. It's, it would have been the kind of wreath of victory that would have been given to somebody who won an athletic competition. 
um, really, it's, it's like being named gold medal uh, because it would have meant that you were the victor in this Olympic kind of game, this competition, this struggle, that you came out victorious. You came out on top. And instead of being, um, instead of being a kind of a sign of, uh, of death like the coronavirus has been, it's rather this crown of life that is given to those who struggle and valiantly fight. Well, in this story of Stephen, um, it's not long after, the, uh, after the, the Holy Spirit has fallen at Pentecost. It's not long after Peter has preached his sermon to the nations as they have gathered and, and the, the apostles have spoken in tongues um, and sort of brought forth the good news of Jesus Christ, who has just recently been crucified and raised from the dead. But the, the apostles, as they go about leading this early church, what they find is that there's a complaint that rises up. Uh, the widows, who needed care because they didn't have access to financial um, stability, they needed care from the community. And there are two groups of widows. You have in Jerusalem those who are ethnically Jewish or Hebrew who live in and are from the land of Israel. And then you have those that are ethnically Jewish but are not actually from Israel. They've come from outside of Israel either because they are converts to Judaism or because they themselves um, are not were just born afar, right? Jews lived all over the Roman Empire and, and then sometimes came back. But when they came back, they didn't come back speaking Aramaic or Hebrew in exactly the right way. They'd speak Greek. Um, they were a little bit more worldly. Um, and not that they were more sinful or something, but anyway, you get it. They belong to a different culture. And so you have this division, even in the early church, even though it's all the way Jewish, essentially, you have this sort of division between those widows who were a part of the Hellenistic or the Greek-speaking or the sort of non-Jewish world. And then you have those who are a part of the Jewish leadership but, or a part of the Jewish world. But all of those, those that sort of Jewish portion of, or the, all of the leadership of the early church initially is in that Jewish sort of space, right? The first 12 apostles, disciples, uh, were all from that sort of Jewish culture. So those widows in the Hellenistic or the Greek-speaking portion of the church are getting overlooked. They don't have anybody who, um, who sees them. They don't have anybody who knows the way that they do things. And honestly, we know what this is like. We've experienced this in our own churches where it's not an intentional desire to exclude somebody. It's not this, this thing of, well, they're different from me, and so I'm going to find a way to make sure they get shut out, but they still get shut out. They still find themselves sort of on the margins or not really hearing about what's going on and, and not really getting taken care of in the same way that people who are from that sort of church culture get taken care of. And so the apostles do something really important because it'd be so easy for them as leaders to just kind of go, okay, like what am I going to do about that? Is that my fault that they're Hellenists? We want to make sure that they're covered in the distribution, but they need to come to us. They need to do what we expect them to do. No, the disciples don't do that. They find instead, it's so important to them that these widows who have no power outside of the church, have no authority on their own, it's so important to them that they're taken care of. So they appoint seven young men. And if you read it closely, you'll notice 
all of those young men are Hellenists. They're Greeks. They are either, one of them is actually a convert, so he's ethnically not even Jewish, but the rest all have Greek names. And that's really, really important because what it means is the apostles did not hang on to their leadership and say, we've got to be the ones in charge of everything. No, it was like as soon as they were given an opportunity, they used that opportunity to spread, to distribute leadership to those who were qualified and to those who would be able to speak the language, to connect culturally, to be sure that those widows probably were able to receive it. It was probably like a weekly food distribution. They'd also be checked up on, make sure that they were healthy, make sure they had somebody to look after them, they were safe, all those kinds of things. I read that and I'm I'm convicted (laughs) because I'm pretty sure that in this time when we've had our systems of care where we expect to see somebody on Sunday and check up on how they're doing, that those sort of normal ways of doing things have been disrupted in this time. And I'm pretty sure I've got some gaps in my own leadership, people who maybe have been overlooked. So I hope that as you're, as you're hearing this, and maybe you reach out to me and say, hey, look, I think we've got a gap here. I think this person is being missed. I think this person needs a call, that kind of thing. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what we're meant to be as a church. And as leadership, we want to make sure that we reach out and, and make sure that people are taken care of, looked after, checked in on. But Stephen's also unique for something else. It's not just his ethnicity. It's not just his culture. It's also because, and mostly because, he is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. There's something different about Stephen. It's it's not just kind of who he is on the outside, but really the way that he has allowed God to transform and mold and make him. The people in, in that area saw something special in Stephen. He was fighting this fight. He was going after this crown of victory, this crown of life, even before he got assigned to this sort of deacon position of caring for the widows. We see it. He, he, he receives opposition. And um, it's, it's great to see. I mean, we sort of see these divisions. Um, the place that he actually receives opposition is in the synagogue of, it says the synagogue of the freedmen, right? And that doesn't, I mean, you maybe have heard of somebody with the last name Freeman or Freedman, right? But what it actually means is that they had been slaves and then they were free, right? So they had been probably in some other part of the empire. They were freed and they made their way back to Jerusalem. But the point is, is that this synagogue is full of people who ethnically, culturally are outside of that kind of mainstream. They're outside of the Jewish mainstream. And so you see uh, 6 verse 9, some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So where, where is this coming from? All of this opposition, this dispute with Stephen is actually coming from outside of those who are sort of locked down in that Jewish center there in Jerusalem. These are people who are from outside the empire. They're probably speaking Greek more than they're speaking Aramaic and Hebrew. And so they come to have this argument with Stephen. And it's this sort of, you know, worldly dispute. How dare you say that Jesus is the Messiah? How dare you say 
that Jesus is not only the Messiah, but that he actually is even more than just a political savior, but that he is himself the son of man and the son of God. And they begin to, to come after him. It's, it's interesting to me because I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but oftentimes it's people who are, who are in that position who have the most to lose, and so they're the most careful about being radical. Right? It's somebody who's like, they're actually kind of from the outside, but they're making their way on into the inside. So they're going to be the most conservative. They're going to be the least controversial. They're going to be the least radical so that nobody can point a finger at them and accuse them of something. And so this first opposition to the gospel comes from, yes, it comes from the leadership up at the top, but then it comes from these people who are on, kind of on their way from the outside into the inside. They've got a lot to lose here. And so they come and oppose Stephen as he's preaching the gospel. There's this temporal opposition to him. But there's also a spiritual opposition to Stephen. Stephen's life, even in its compressed form, we only really hear about him in these two chapters. But in these two chapters, we actually have this miniature picture of Jesus Christ. Stephen lives the life of Christ in its, this short compressed way. He's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, just as Jesus was filled with God's, with God's presence. And then as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he begins to do things to preach and then also to do works of power, to do works and deeds that show that he's not just some guy bringing some message that he made up on his own, but there's actually a power behind what he's doing and what he's saying, and you ought to listen to him. Stephen experiences that kind of success. But then he also experiences opposition from those around him, and then we find out they take him to trial. They rise up and dispute with him. And then if we go down in chapter 6, just a couple uh, a couple verses. They secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. Then they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. Now that wasn't true, but they were able to find people willing to be false witnesses the same way that Jesus was accused on false grounds. And after that trial, Stephen has his moment to speak. Unlike Jesus, I guess, he actually does have quite a lengthy speech in which he gives, filled with the Holy Spirit, he gives this whole account of Israel's history and life. And he ends in chapter, in verse 30, 53, you who received the laws delivered by angels, so he's not denigrating the law, right? Did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, the people who are putting Stephen on trial can't handle this. They, they cover their ears and they grind their teeth and they show all these signs of anguish and they, they essentially lift, they essentially take 
Stephen in this sort of mob action and they lynch him outside of the city. They stone him, but it's the same idea in our context as a lynching where this, there's this sort of mob action that apparently is actually kind of pre-planned. People know what they're getting themselves into and they take him out and they kill him in this act of mob violence. It's this crime of mob passion, but that doesn't take away any guilt. In his last moments, Stephen is praying for his murderers. He says, behold, uh, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then verse 58, sorry, 59, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's last words are actually the words of Jesus. Father, into my hands I commit, into your hands I commit my spirit, and forgive them for they know not what they do. These are the words of the Savior that have been put into the mouth of this first martyr, Stephen. And what we find out as we think about those parallels is that Stephen does much more than simply copy Jesus. He does exactly what a shepherd ought to do. Um, in John 10, the, the gospel reading that Cody read for us today, he, Jesus talks about what it means to be a shepherd, what it means to be a good shepherd. And he says the good shepherd opposes those thieves who would come over the wall and steal the sheep. Right? The sheep know the shepherd's voice, they follow him, and, and he protects them from those who would steal them, use them, abuse them, kill them, and eat them because they have nothing invested in the sheep themselves. And so here is Stephen standing up, not to cause a ruckus, not to create problems in the society, but he wants to protect people from those leaders who would abuse and use them. He wants to protect those people from leaders who would not appoint someone from a different ethnicity to make sure that they're cared for, but in fact, they would use and abuse those who are weak for their own profit and gain. And Stephen does it with the word he preaches and teaches beautifully. He also does it with power. We know that there were miracles going on, and Stephen was no doubt a part of those. He does it both in word and in deed, and maybe the greatest Miracle is, in fact, what we know that he did at the, in chapter 6, that he cared for the weak and the poor, that he spent his life on their behalf. And finally, he does what we didn't read, but it's there in John chapter 10, verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Exactly what Stephen does do. To put himself on the line knowing that the proclamation of what is true is more important than the preservation of his own life. There are some eerie connections between Stephen and Paul. We don't know that they ever spoke, but we know that Paul was, it says it right there in chapter 7, that he was running the coat check at Stephen's martyrdom. That as Stephen was stoned, Paul was watching everybody's outer garments so that they could get full extension 
when they were throwing rocks at him. Paul was not only seeing it, but approving of it. And we know later in Acts that Paul goes through a mighty transformation that makes him more like Stephen than he was like Saul at that time. So much so that he writes these words in Philippians 1. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. And you've got to wonder if he had this image in his mind as he wrote these words, but that with full courage, now as always, I mean, does he see Stephen's face when he says this? Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says later in chapter 3, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him that is Christ, even in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I mean, the connection, the, the, the likeness between who Stephen is at this point and who Paul becomes is just too close for me to leave aside. You might think Stephen may have become like Paul if he hadn't been martyred. He may have become this one who went and went into the Hellenistic culture in which he was raised, just like Paul, who took that message. We know he could preach. We know he could teach. We know he was a person full of the Holy Spirit and full of power, who planted churches, who, who established the truth of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, who was willing over and over and over to bear the marks of Christ, even up to the point of death in his own body so that he might ultimately do good for other Christians and ultimately win that crown, win that victory. And I wonder, too, who the Stevens and the Pauls will be for us. I mean, are we as a church, are we raising up people? Are we praying for people who have that kind of faith? Who are less concerned about their success or their, their ability to rise through the ranks or to have some sort of influence or power? Are we, are we calling out people who are on the, out, on the edges and on the outside? And are we giving them opportunities to lead and, and, and to seek out what it might mean for them to be a leader in the body of Christ? Or are we just seeking to kind of perpetuate the institution of the church? To push forward what we know without admitting too much of what we don't know. I wonder if in your prayer, if you're willing to pray for people who are going to come forward and maybe, maybe you're an older person praying for younger people. Maybe you're a younger person praying for yourself and your friends. But are we praying for people who are going to be willing to kind of have that passion in their life to seek out and to win that crown, to seek out and win that victory, to put themselves on the line for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of God's work in this world?
We don't get people like Stephen. We don't get people like Paul without the Spirit raising them up. Without the Spirit creating that kind of faith, creating that kind of hope. Really, really, really excellent Sunday school material and and really over-the-top mentors and leaders, none of that will do it on its own, although it's good. What we really need, what we desperately need, are, are people who are committed to prayer and even to suffering on behalf of one another. I wonder if you have some leadership that you can give away to somebody like Stephen who in one way or the other is on the outside of things. I wonder if maybe you have an opportunity to lift somebody else up in prayer who needs your love, who needs your sacrifice for them. I wonder if you have a chance to to explain and to express the fact that we're not just here for our own salvation, but we're caught up in this great mysterious drama of salvation. That God is making and will make saints, that He will raise up those for His church who are going to help things continue on, but it's not going to be easy. This corona tide, this, this time of our isolation, it's, it's a lot of things. And I know a lot of us struggle with it. We struggle with it maybe intellectually, conceptually. Is it really the right thing to be doing? We, we struggle with it physically or reality, you know, sort of in our, our real everyday living. How can I actually go on living isolated like this? Like it's so hard. I want to see people. I need to see people. But I wonder too if are we willing to accept this difficulty? And maybe it's right and maybe it's not right, but... Are we willing to accept this burden in preparation in a way that makes us more holy, more obedient, more willing to follow after a God who loves us and calls us to difficult things? Last thing I want to say is that Jesus stands. Stephen's line there is, I saw the Son of Man, or I see the Son of Man, rather. He he is looking in this moment, like, into the throne room of God. It's like Isaiah 6. It's like Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 4 and 5. Like, he he is seeing the real, real. And what he says is, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, that might be strange. I don't know if you caught the little hiccup in Cody's prayer. He prayed. He started to say the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father because that's how we talk about it. That's how we talk about Christ. That's how we talk about Jesus. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. That He's been lifted up out of this world and put at the right hand of authority, right? But He's seated there. And always, almost always, 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 he is seated, sitting. But in this one instance, Jesus stands. There's been a lot of reflection on what's that 
about? Why is the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father? And I think there are two things. There's, things come down to, to two different explanations. The first is that Jesus stands at the right hand in order to welcome Stephen. In order to welcome that first martyr, that first one who was willing to take on the very life and suffering and death that he himself walked through. So he stands to welcome him, just like when somebody important walks into the room, you don't stay seated, right? You get up. You honor them in that way. But the other thing is that Jesus stands in judgment. That as a judge, he, he doesn't, he's done sort of hearing the arguments in some sense, and, and he instead stands in order to deliver the verdict. Jesus, we know, is vindicated as he's raised from the dead. Stephen is vindicated because the Son of Man himself stands to receive him. That he really has been faithful, that he really has won the crown, that he really has been the victor in this sort of struggle for virtue and faithfulness and life and faith and hope. My hope, my prayer is that we have this devotion and this conviction in ourselves that we are going to fight for that crown, that we are going to fight not with, not with weapons of flesh and blood, but that we will fight with faith, that we will fight with hope, with love, with courage, with wisdom, patience, self-control. Those are our weapons. And, and the victory that we win is not this kind of crown that we get our name plastered on some building and that we get a gold medal that everybody looks at us, honors us, and glorifies us, but rather that the Son receives us saying, well done, good and faithful servant. So where are you at today? Are you somebody who's on the outside and you really are saying, I need to be full of the Spirit, and, and maybe you don't ever see a path for yourself coming into a place of authority and leadership in the church or into a place of authority and leadership in your family, but I'm here to tell you that does not matter. Still find a way to be full of the Spirit, to be full of faith, to be full of truth, to do what God has called you to do, because when there are godly people in place, your earthly position will not be important. Or maybe you're somebody who has lived your whole life in that sort of position of earthly authority. Maybe you sit on the boards and the councils and people look up to you and you have authority in the places that you've been given. Are you seeking to bring others into that same authority, to lift them up in prayer, to see them full of the Holy Spirit, to see them full of faith, and then to send them out? Maybe you find yourself somewhere in between and you're not really sure. And your prayer is just, God, what do you want to do with me? Do you need me to build up the widows? Do you need me to build up those who might have some sort of access to that authority? Lord, do you need me to be an authority myself? I will take whatever you give me. But my prayer is that you're open to what the Spirit is doing in and through you. God, in His good grace, has committed to use us. Sometimes I don't know why, but he has. And so I just want to encourage you today that even in this difficult time, maybe especially in this difficult time, that we open ourselves up to the work of the Spirit to move among us, to raise up 
victors like Stephen, that we might find and discover the hope and the life that God is desperate to bring into this world. Let's pray. Father, you've been so good, so kind to us, and we pray, we pray, Lord God, that that we might have our hearts and minds open to you, that you would convict us, that you would change us, that you would make us and mold us into your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Communion Supper, instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is a sacrament which proclaims His life, His sufferings, His sacrificial death and resurrection, and the hope of His coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until His return. The Supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. All those who are truly repentant, having forsaken their sins unto salvation, are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and be made one by the Spirit. Holy God, we gather at this your table In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of His coming again. On the night in which He was betrayed, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to His disciples, saying, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so, we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ unto all the world until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. This is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed for you. Preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Receive this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful.
There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare your living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence
Lord, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overwhelmed by your for worshiping with us today, for your continued faithfulness to show up, um, to be here, to, co- to comment, to communicate, to reach out. It means a lot to us, um, and it just helps deepen and establish those bonds of uh, when we'll be back together. Um, my wife and I, Indra, we, we dated long distance for, a f- well, about a year and a half. We couldn't take it much longer than that, and so... Um, <laughs> But I, I know that that distance can be tough. Um, but here's the thing that it can also do. It builds expectation. And, and I remember those visits. There were times when she was in the city of New York, all the way across on the East Coast, and I was in a little tiny town over here on the West Coast where it was a, like a 14-hour drive to an airport. You know, like We got to see each other once or twice in those four months. And, and I can tell you what it meant, what those visits actually meant. When I look back at it, it makes me appreciate and love how much time we get to spend with each other now. So my hope is, even though this is not right, right, this is not the way that it should be, that it will slowly build this expectation and love and joy for those moments when we are back together. Um, Announcements today. We are just continuing with prayer on Wednesday morning, Um, and that's on Zoom. That's at 7 o'clock. We also have Bible study. not this week, but next week we'll have Bible study at 7 o'clock, also on Zoom. Um, next Sunday, I, I'm going to start Sunday school. So we'll do it at the same regular time. We'll do uh, 9 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, and we'll it'll do it on Zoom. And it will be live, and uh, we're going to cover the book of First Peter. We've been doing so many readings out of it on Sunday morning, and I just felt like um, it's something I wish I knew more about, so maybe you were feeling the same way. And I want to go ahead and uh, we'll jump into that. It's not a super long book. It's a few chapters. But we'd love for you to be able uh, to join us Sundays at 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, And that is all the announcements that I can think of. We did have district assembly yesterday. And so if you're interested in any of of those results, um, we can provide those. Thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping with us. We just ask that you would continue... um, Continue to find ways to connect with us and with your neighborhood and, and to bring the, the light and the hope of Christ during this difficult time. Now may the, lo- the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.
then just no, then, then I just sure miss in. being in church. I sure miss all my friends. I sure miss you. <laughs> How's that? <laughs>